Hi and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a WFT board member and producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions. For writers, it can be tough to strike the right work-life balance. In the latest WFT podcast, our project manager, Gemma Cray, spoke with the accomplished speaker, creative and WFT member, Joanna Thea. The second in the WFT Writers' Room series, they discuss not only Joanna's impressive and varied career to date, but also about the importance of looking after our mental health as creatives in a highly competitive industry. I'm just so delighted um, to welcome our very special guest, Joanna Thay. So she has um, an amazing experience working on big sets, photo shoots, um, working with creatives of all shapes and forms on advertising campaigns. You've um, done like you've, you. I kind of want to talk about your career as a general whole, but also one of the interesting things that you did is you pivoted into um, kind of psychology and well-being which is like in some ways they're very natural bedfellows because you're understanding the human condition for performance and then uh you know kind of delving into why that is and what makes the mind tick but it gives you a unique perspective for us all so um thank you so much for joining us for the WIFT writers room first of all you're welcome (laughs) thank you for having me and then I just want to say as well um like it, it's a very interesting background. So I just was wondering if you could just go into a little bit more detail about your full background and how you got into those two areas, because it's super interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, So I went to school in Ireland in County Limerick. And as you know, the academic system here is very um varied. So I was really into academia when I was younger, but I also was acting and singing choirs and doing Shan Nose and loads of things. But I never really considered acting or writing um, or any kind of form of creativity as a possible career choice. And what happened was when I was 15, I was scouted by um, uh, Celtic Talent. They were like an American modeling agency, got into modeling and then kind of thought that was my path. And found it quite frustrating because I felt like not all of me was being kind of, um, I wasn't really experiencing life to the fullness that I wanted to. I went to New York and at the time, a lot of my friends were creatives. I was working at Riverside Studios in London. And um, my friend over there is an actress, a fringe actress. So I did a monologue slam. And it wasn't until I got a standing ovation for that um, that I remembered being on stage. You know, I went to Milford, so we did the UL concert hall and stuff. And that feeling from the audience, that inviting, warm feeling and how thrilling it was, but also how how liberated I felt, you know, on stage. So I came back to London. I was like, I'm going to be an actress, you know, and uh, I applied to Lambda, who said no. And they said, come back next year. It could take two to three times to get into an acting school. And I just thought, oh, I can't wait. I'm too impatient, you know. And um, when I was really into academia, I was very, very curious. I've always been very curious and loved learning. So I kind of thought I should do psychology. And so I applied for a BSc at the University of London. They said yes. And I kind of acted alongside that, which kind of worked out for the best. At the time, it was kind of confusing. And I was like, what are you doing? You're doing too many things. And (laughs) am I making the right choices but it worked out well because I did the acting part-time while I was studying so I was delving into as you say the human psyche you know my own stuff and learning how to adapt and build resilience I guess and just just general stuff about 
the human condition. At the same time, as I was kind of applying those techniques and and just my own understanding of my emotional maturity, my emotions and my own um, understanding of life and experiences and channeling those into acting. So when I finished my degree, um, I was kind of confused again as to what to do, which path to take. So I took a year out and explored that. So acting like in terms of commercials, modeling, I was still doing part time, very part time. Um, I wrote some, um, you know, well-being articles and stuff like that because I'm really passionate about healing and um, helping people and just sharing information and knowledge and tricks, you know. And then, um, yeah, then I started doing standing in work and doubling um, on first of all TV series. So I did like um, for Sofio Canido, I did a TV series and then I kind of got into more feature films like Hollywood feature films, which basically culminated just before COVID in, um, I did Bond and Venom 2. And I was very lucky when my first feature films with Ready Player One with Steven Spielberg. So I've gotten to watch, you know, not just actors, but I suppose directors, actors, DOPs, just incredible people who've worked their way up, worked so hard for decades sometimes, you know, edge of their, of their career paths and just, focused on them kind of like interning in a way I kind of think of it like that you know shadowing them and learning from them and um and then yeah I moved home during COVID and uh, my number one concern was there wouldn't be enough acting work which was definitely not I've never worked so much in my life it's brilliant like (laughs) um but the good thing is that now I can apply everything I've learned from the standing in the doubling and the kind of smaller roles to to my acting now and kind of developing my craft and also to writing which which I've kind of realized and recognized is a really deep true love for me as well so um one thing that you touched on um was just about how the importance of kind of delving into your psyche and one of the reasons I was so excited to um chat with you was because so the well-being aspect so there's you were saying you hadn't worked um so much ever and I I kind of feel like the, the the feeling on the ground is that so many creatives out there right now are are really getting burnt out mm. there's like I think there's something to be said for it's the type of industry that you're like oh don't want to say no if I if I say no to this like the, maybe the next thing won't come along so quickly and and it's you know we've all been in those spells where maybe the job offers aren't coming in kind of as frequently at some points as as you would happen or depending on what your role is maybe the applications are getting rejected or your your projects aren't getting off the ground for whatever reason and it can be quite it can take quite a, a kind of heavy toll um, mm. and I was just wondering what has been sort of your insight into um, that process and what's the best way to kind of protect yourself from like the emotional hurt of it all? um, I think there's a couple of different things I've learned, especially over the last two years. One of them is to make sure you're taking time out for yourself, whether that's holidays or spending time with friends. And particularly, I think actually friends who are not in the industry, if you have friends who are not in the industry, just to kind of keep your feet on the ground. Um, I kind of I spend a lot of time reading now and kind of investing in my hobbies, yoga, plunge pool. <laughs> um, and really pleasant a plunge pool. Oh my God. <laughs> well, it releases dopamine and it basically um, it reduces your inflammatory response. So it reduces. Is that the, is that the ice cold yeah. bath thing? Oh, my God. <laughs> God brilliant and it is you know it's it's just so wonderful when you get into it because you surrender and you kind of you 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 realize and recognize I suppose the benefits Um, sometimes it's hard 
because I go in there and I'm just like, what am I doing? But you always feel better afterwards. And I think that's another thing that we have to pay attention to is the people, places and things that we're involved in or, or hanging out with where we feel better after we've been around them. Because I think one of the major shifts I made in the last two years as well, honestly, was um, letting go of some people, you know, and also I think letting go of some of the things I was doing before that were, you know, I just didn't have time for or the resources energetically or mentally. And, you know, our industry is is it's so uh, challenging. And I love that about it because I feel like I'm always growing and I have to, you know, you're always outside of your, you're kind of slightly uncomfortable a lot of the time and there's a lot of insecurity, but at the same time to be able to kind of um, maintain yourself, you know, within that environment, you do have to pull back your energy from certain things. And you do like, I've had to stop going out at certain points or cancel holidays to stay at home. And I think once you're, once you're aware that the long-term benefit is good, those kind of um, choices always feel good and always feel beneficial. So I think the other thing I would say is your perception is so important. Like if if you're at the center of your world and the acting career, the writing career, the directing comes second, I think everything you're doing will feel much better. And you feel like you're um, you're building yourself while you're building your career. Whereas I think when I first started, particularly for the first five years, it was my career first <laughs> and I hit many walls and I think yeah you just it, it's it's a long-term career you know for me at least I know I want to be in this industry forever and I love it and that means that I have to take things a bit more slowly I still do a lot of things but I would say I don't exert as much energy or passion you know it's a more consistent kind of outlay and then my life as well has become more consistent something I would consider very boring when I was younger is now Matter from heaven. <laughs> That's you know? so true, actually. Yeah. That is exactly how I feel. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just curious too. How do you deal with working with somebody on a set, which is such a high intensity environment anyway? And um, that, like, what would what would be the things that you would set yourself up to do if you were working with someone who's particularly yeah. difficult? But like, I mean, you you can't really quit, like, can you? <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting. I had an experience. Um of that and it was quite a high powered person and I had to do prep before I went to work in the morning because you know you get up first thing in the morning you're on set for 12 to 14 hours or depending on the day but usually it was around 12 hours and the thing was everyone knew difficult and there was there wasn't much we could do about it on the project so I think as an individual what I did was just made myself very aware that it wasn't personal it wasn't about me and I made it about me managing my emotions and the most important thing was not to react so you know that this person is volatile, that they're going to go off at someone. Someone's going to get it at some point uh, and to kind of compartmentalize their behavior and separate it from your own um, and kind of use it as a training ground. But I also really enjoyed it from the perspective of a writer because I like writing um, psychological thrillers and <laughs> and dark pieces. And so what started happening was I started looking at them as kind of a potential character which made me curious, which made me less defensive, which meant actually, you know, I was less likely to kind of get in the firing range, which is very interesting. And um, I think with people who are toxic like that, they do feed off reactions. They do feed off fear. And I do see it as kind of, generally speaking, we're going to get exposed to them throughout our lives anyway, in some form or another. So I just see it as like training in a sense. And if there is something you can do, you know, obviously do it, but you're not always able to. 
kind of seeing it like that helped me a lot. And then some people in the in the crew or the cast, you know, we'd be aligned and we'd talk about it in a kind of, I want to say as kind as we could be kind of a thing, because I think a lot of people who end up being toxic have, you know, they've gone through trauma themselves. They haven't adapted well. Maybe they got thrown into, you know, a particular position or something and they ran with it. And maybe if it's a position of power, it's not being challenged. So I think if you take it like that and you see, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I would hope not, but you never know. I think it kind of takes a lot of that, um, the angst out of it, I guess. And that kind of thing we do where we make it personal and it hurts. You know what I mean? You just go, well, hurt people, hurt people. You know, it's true. And um, and kind of also uh, another way, kind of be grateful that it's not you and it's, you know, that you can walk away from that set because that person who's, you know, kind of traumatized or toxic, that's how they live their life, everybody. And ultimately, you know, they're not able to accept love in the same way we can if we, you know, heal or, you know, go to therapy or do our exercise, whatever it is, if we adapt and we learn and we grow. So I always think that their quality of life is something I would never aspire towards. So it kind of, you get this kind of, it's not exactly um, empathy. I'd say it's more like compassion. You know what I mean? Where you kind of, and all of that around you then kind of protects you because it's like, you know, people are suffering a lot. So I think, yeah, I think that's kind of how I would approach it really. Because it's it's tough, I think, if you are directly at their whim. And I think on that point, two things. I If it was me working directly below them and I was suffering, I would definitely leave because your first priority is your own well-being. But also you, you touched off insight and insight is such a powerful thing. And I think for us as as creatures in the industry, I think just for our own well-being and our resilience, if we can have insight, you know, through consistent kind of um, reflective practice or speaking with friends who are authentic and honest and kind of in their power, we, we get to challenge ourselves because it's not always the other person who's being toxic. And sometimes as well, if you're in a toxic environment, you pick up things without realizing it. So I think just for our own kind of growth and um yeah, just just kind of getting better as people and not, you know, um, holding on to those toxic traits and behaviors. I do think it's really important to develop your insight consistently over time. And um, yeah, just just kind of get curious about yourself, I guess, that kind of thing. And tell me how what, like you you kind of um, again, you've been in this field now, you've learned the kind of how it how it plays out on the ground. You've learned a lot about the mechanisms about why it exists. What are your most effective tools for resilience and well and well-being? Yeah, I think the basics first. So be exercise, um, good nutrition, sleep you know, the very basic things. I think the thing I learned the most- Sometimes on set, actually, they're the most difficult to do. Like if you're working for 12 hours a day, you're going to go home, eat a takeaway and have a glass of wine to relax. So that don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's preparation, I think. I think if you know the shoot coming up, it is kind of, I do feel like as creators, we have to be way more on top of things than like nine to fivers because we don't know but for me I don't know when a job's coming in so I think if like everything my press is full you know my fridge is full it's all good um water sleep sleep I agree with you as well because it can be difficult to maintain kind of um you know regular sleep pattern but I think even periods of like meditation or self-reflection mindfulness um being kind with yourself you know and then um in psychology epigenetics is basically anything you choose to do which is like, you know, your food, nutrition, uh, your social circles, your activities, play is very important. 
And so with epigenetics, what they teach is that it's really, really important those activities you choose because they actually determine your genetic expression. So when you're trying to build resilience, um, you know, in terms of genetic expression, I think it's important that when you're on your downtime, you're cultivating those habits. So you have more resilience when you go into kind of an environment where you may not be able to maintain it. Um, but also it comes back down to perception as well. You know, you can wake up in the morning, feel really grumpy and groggy because you're tired and you can go with that or you can kind of go, do you know what? I'm going to find a nice, a nice track I like, do you know, when I'm getting ready and really get yourself into the sense of gratitude, you know, like that, like consciously make sure that you're there um, if you can make make a nice coffee, <laughs> you know, whatever makes you happy, kind of give yourself as much nourishment kind of for mind, body and soul, I think, as possible along the way. Um, and yeah, and reach out for support, you know, because we do need to talk to each other and we do need to lean on each other and kind of just ask for help and, you know, for feeling a bit off, just, you know, take the time to kind of connect with someone who, who we trust and lean on them, you know. And that's it. There's a Mind and Creative Minds, actually. They have sort of recently launched and they provide like a really wonderful service. And like that, like you, they'll provide someone to talk to. They they do, I think, offer counseling free of charge for people in industry. Like there's definitely those resources out there. I think your network as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like not feeling alone. Like that. I know this thing about writers. There's so many um there's so many like times I think writers you kind of feel like you're in some ways like at the bottom of the rung at the very beginning of the process and overlooked and <laughs> and not appreciated in some ways because you're you're applying for things and and you're not getting the money but what you don't know is at the other side of that like there's so many people applying for that same pot and not to take it personally because it just not might be not for you yeah. um yeah and actually tell me how what would be the best way to deal with rejection like what would be that way to so it's kind of there's difficult people but what's the best way to kind of get the the resistance to to yeah. not feel crushed it's really interesting actually because um I had a uh... About a year ago, I went back to my therapist and I was like feeling really overwhelmed. And I was like, and he said, Johanna, how are you getting on? You know, how's acting going, whatever. And I said, it's great. I'm auditioning a lot for TV series. I haven't booked anything. And um, and he said to me, oh, you're getting a lot of rejection. And I said, well, it's redirection. And in that conversation, I understood that I wasn't processing the the emotions behind that feeling of being rejected because it's a real thing. And I think it does affect us. And when our when our hearts are affected, you know, our bodies and minds are affected, too. So I think it's really important to sit with the, the pain or the discomfort and process it and even allow yourself to grieve and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Maybe take a break if you need to, um, because uh, I think ultimately it's like I always think of it as like percolating. You know, it kind of like it all lends itself to you as a writer, becoming more sensitive, becoming more aware. And then when you do have those moments where you are funded or, you, you know, you you get a project kind of off the ground, that it feels much more joyful because you've really processed each step and you've brought yourself up out of the trenches or wherever it is you are, you know, kind of and, and managed yourself well enough to keep going. But I do think sometimes sometimes you do need to take a break if it's overwhelming Um. But just to acknowledge and I think to kind of, you know, it is that thing of being your own cheerleader as well and just being like, look, I, I sent off 10 submissions. Like, isn't that amazing? So that the process becomes kind of the like the, the part that you celebrate rather than the outcome, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because I think that's one of the things that maybe it's counterintuitive to how 
I I would imagine we're told to 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 process it because you know you're supposed to take it on the chin. It's not personal, and you're like actually in some ways it's really personal. Like in some ways you're going, this is my psyche. You're like if you're a writer and if you're if you're an actor, you're like this is me. This is my being. Cast me from <laughs> this. You know, and yeah. and there's still kind of like you are being rejected in some ways or like not chosen or kind of passed over and every single thing that you don't get. So there is like just going actually grieve it, like I'm having the allowance to grieve it. I think as well, though, there's something to do with time. I don't know if you've noticed, but like a lot of times I think when people actually have their breakthrough, you know, like after many books or after, you know, with screenwriting as well, where something comes to light and everyone's like, this is amazing. You know, what was that film with Anna Taylor, her first one, the chest one? I forget what it's called. Didn't that take like 10 years or something to get made into into the sea? Yeah. So I think there's something about the timing of, of your project coming out and the timing of you as a writer or an artist landing and recognizing it's not just about when you're ready. Sometimes the world has to kind of be ready for whatever it is that you're sharing or your voice or your particular talent or whatever it is, you know. So I do trust that a lot more now, I think. Um, than I used to where I was like oh I want to get cast I want to you know I want to do this thing and especially with writing where it's just so it just takes such a long time and then you you review things and you're like oh actually like I wrote this a year ago and I just would not even <laughs> you know there's no way I would put that kind of out there now Um, so I think it's beautiful and I think it's about cultivating and I do think it is again coming back off the kind of goal-oriented way of thinking the masculine way of thinking into the feminine of how wonderful it is to spend time writing and getting creative and doing what you love. And of course, applying for funding, applying for things. But I think you bring so much joy, like a wealth of joy, you know, to your world. And um, I'm pretty, I, I think that it just imbues you with a sense of not just gratitude, but you're actually enjoying all of your life rather than just like, oh, like I got a bursary, you know, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? So I think that's the power of, of, the artist the creative is to cultivate a life of passion and a life where we get to explore what it is we really love most of the time if not all the time you know and I think I don't know I think I think how precious that is can't be understated but because we have to obviously get money and you know we want to develop projects we sometimes get a bit more focused on the outcome and we forget wow like here we are doing this thing you know like <laughs> So like and 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 speaking on the the subject of money, um, you were um working on a new conceptual framework for a doctorate on social economics, which is seems very interesting. So talk <laughs> to me about mental poverty because this sounds yeah. to do yeah. with fiscal poverty. <laughs> so what happened was I did my MSc during COVID because you know acting and writing and modeling everything shut down. And so I was like, I can't just stay at home, like, like go crazy. So I did a MSc in affective disor disorders, rather, with um, the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience. And I, I chose that because it's a very hard kind of scientific um, master's. And I, I, for my BSc, I'd done like kind of what does it mean to be happy? And it was qualitative. So it was based on like interviews with individuals and it was kind of softer, if you know what I mean, like kind of more social. And um, so I went and did that and I realized I was really interested in depression and anxiety, having gone through both myself and knowing many people who have. But then um, I started delving into it and I'm absolutely, I love the idea of perception and how when your perception shifts, 
which kind of is what happened with me with my depression, you can outgrow a behavior or a way of being and you can kind of retrain your brain. Not everyone can and it's not always possible. I think they're like windows of opportunity, you know, but you can actually kind of train your mind out of certain conditions and conditioned ways of thinking and behavioral patterns. So when I was delving into it, I was speaking to my um my supervisor, uh, Mario, he's an amazing psychiatrist. And I was saying, I want to do my, my dissertation, my project on mental poverty. And he said, that's a great idea, but it's kind of lends itself to social economics more than psychology. So I went a different direction. I just fo- focused on perception and depression. But my um a colleague of mine, she's a doctor. She's got a PhD in um, social economics. And so we're going to come together and I'm going to do the psychology slash neuroscience aspect. And so mental poverty is it's kind of like a fusion between, you know, learned helplessness, like that idea of so how how they express it is if you have um, say you've got a dog in a cage and when they're a puppy, they're tied up, but the door is open. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you you leave the door open, but you untie them as an adult. They still won't go out the door of the, the open door of the cage. And so in the human mind, when you're depressed, you have learned helplessness, which is that you've been so so conscious of the open door being open, but then feeling like you can't go out of it as a pup or when you were younger or in a different situation that you've kind of forgotten that you can challenge yourself to go through the open door as, as a kind of metaphor for leaving your depression behind or changing your behaviors. And so mental poverty is the concept that we restrict ourselves both through habits, conditioning, um, you know, assumptions, and not challenging our own perceptions of our of our capabilities, basically limiting ourselves. So that's the psychological neuroscientific aspect. And it also lends itself within neuroscience to, there's a lot of talk in neuroscience about how you can develop new neuronal pathways, which means, you know, say your habit is with depression, for example, that you sleep 14 hours a day. So the moment you start sleeping 13 hours a day and 12 hours a day and 11 hours a day and you start working your way back and doing new activities, you're actually inspiring growth in your brain for new neuronal pathways. And the more often you use those, the easier it is for you to use those, which is why you can get out of a depression and then start exercising and suddenly you've got loads of life, you know, you've got loads of energy and you can do loads of things. And so, um, yeah, so in neuroscience, this is a very big and strong concept and people talk about it all the time. And it's very powerful because of what you're able to do. And it, it's incremental. You know, I've been working on myself for over two decades. Um, I went through a lot when I was younger in terms of challenges and trauma and stuff, emotional, mental, everything. And so over the past two decades, I've been incrementally changing, you know, how I approach things and my behaviors and my own perceptions. And the fun part of it is, you know, you hit a tipping point every so often where you completely surprise yourself because like even with the acting thing, I was like, I want to be an actress, you know? And it was like, at that stage, I think I was working in hospitality, like, you know, 10 hours a day. And I was like, how do I, how do I climb this Everest, you know? And so when you manage to get into your first film, even if it was an extra, that's like, wow, you know? So I think we have these different tipping points and the more often that happens through us challenging ourselves and through trying different things and just trusting ourselves in our journeys, um, the more fun the journey is and the more relaxed you become, the more you trust yourself. And I think actually really, really positively, the more you allow yourself time for play, which I I think is one of the most healing things you can do where you just go, I'm going to go for a walk or a hike or take some time just to enjoy myself. 
Um, so yeah, that's mental poverty from the psychological neuroscientific perspective. And then um, Amelia is going to do the socioeconomic kind of aspect, which relates to your behavior as maybe it's consumer, as a citizen, you know, all those kind of things. So that sounds like very worthwhile um, study as well. And I think it's the, the toll of it, but also, yeah, how people can overcome it. So so you're kind of saying I'm I'm procrastinating too much with my writing what I do is I just sit down to write like one day like what what are the kind of yeah like how would just say just say like my number one problem is uh, when I have a project I don't do it okay so normally what I do is I set up cheap deadlines like so I'll be like I have to send it to another person like two weeks beforehand so that I get I use that deadline to get that in for them and then I can edit with the other ones but like I presume that's just unhealthy because it's causing more stress (laughs) Well, I think you've touched on a very important point, which is, you know, homeostasis. So at the point at which I was healing, you know, from the stuff I went through, I was living in a very stressful body and mind and headspace. And it takes a while, like it takes, I say it would take five to 10 years, even sometimes to get yourself completely out of that space and into a completely relaxed, neutral space. You know what I mean? So I think what you've done with the deadlines is amazing. I think I would probably um, set smaller targets along the way. So like even breaking it down into a weekly target or a daily target, have a reward there for yourself after every time you achieve a target, if, if you can. I have been um, trying the um and I found this very helpful the Disney technique where for the first few stages you leave the edit I realized one of the reasons why I was so stressed um I was editing while I was writing so you have that negative aspect of your brain where you critique everything on which is great which is a great tool to have but it goes on mm. too early and the whole process is negativity so you're you're writing a character and you're like that's a terrible way to write that. You need to be a better way instead of going like for the first stage, like everything is possible for the, for the next stage, you know, yeah, what no. are all, like yes and <laughs> elements, you know, and then you just start, you know, you get it on the page as rough as yeah. possible. And then, then you start editing. And I was like, and actually I found that to be so much more enjoyable yeah. rather than when I go in and write a sentence and edit that sentence as I'm writing it, it becomes very like, oh, that's not great. What's a better way? You know, like, and, and like that, and that, those negative thoughts kind of really take over the the process so well it's interesting I think now that you're speaking because I don't basically I've got I've got oh. dyslexia and dyspraxia so I think the edit the editorial aspect of me is definitely left until the end anyway because <laughs> I can't I can't manage to do both and I think because a lot of it comes from feeling I'd say I'm too verbose you know I kind of go into it and kind yeah. of you know what's that thing where you kind of like you you just what's that if there's a word for it where you just like you you put everything on the page first like this mess and then you kind of go in and you try and sort things out so I'd love to have a bit more of your editorial mind actually that's brilliant that you have it but um but I like the fact that you've created space you found your own flow and I think that brings us back onto another point which is like every single writer is different every single actor is different and so much of it is just finding what works for you and trying out different things you know because we're, we're masters of ourselves really I suppose you know I know yeah. And what projects are you working on now? Like, what's the kind of cool stuff that you're working on? Um, oh. up? Yeah, so I think I told you, I just did a student film, which my first um, student film in ages. And I'm so grateful I did it because um, I think I was telling you earlier, Gemma, it's about reminding myself why I'm an artist, why I'm a creative. 
And so often a lot of my decisions now, because, you know, it gets busy and you have to kind of decide, okay, do I want to do this job or this job? And it's where it is and, you know, how much in the role and everything like that. And I think sometimes it becomes a bit, I don't know how to put it, but like, it's not about your passion or your joy or the fact that you get to bring this thing to life, you know, like you were saying. And so I just feel so refreshed because it was a day and a half off, off in Thurles of all places, like in the countryside, yeah, in this big country. Yeah. It was gorgeous and then the fresh mornings and just you know just putting our passion into that so that was really fun um on a personal note I'm I'm getting more into speaking which I love which I started during COVID and stuff like that writing I'm writing a short at the moment um with Fiona who's I think here <laughs> yeah and um <laughs> and that's really really fun and I'm doing I'm working on a sci-fi um feature film trilogy which yeah, I'm really excited about that as well, because it brought together a lot of my experiences in psychology kind of with the writing, where I felt like I could take the protagonist on a journey and and obviously the audience, too, that was healing more than anything else, you know. And so that's quite cool. And then, yeah, acting wise, I'm waiting for things. to. I've auditioned for quite a few cool things recently, so we'll see. Ooh, uh, watch the space. Yeah, I'm presuming yeah. not allowed to talk about things until there or is it bad luck to. Well, NBA. I think. Yeah, you're not supposed to talk about them. But also, you know, I have heard stories of actors going on to like do a TV series and like getting to like costume stage even and their character gets caught. So I think because it's about the story, it's never really about the individuals. It's just kind of protection, I suppose. But um, I like to say that, you know, talk about auditions and stuff like that. But yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with us. That has been really, really, really fascinating. Um, we're going to continue the chat over in our members room. So everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Join WFT today and support the work we do over at WFT.ie.